some of you know the name Eugene Peterson. Peterson was for 29 years the pastor of a Presbyterian church in Bel Air, Maryland. He gave his life to preaching and teaching and pastoring ordinary people through the ups and downs of life. Eugene Peterson also wrote 35 books, so many inspiring books about faith and life and the faithfulness of our lives. He devoted his life also to the biblical languages, Greek and Hebrew, and across the years he translated the entire Bible into the everyday language of conversation, marketplace, and playground. If you don't know Eugene Peterson's The Message, you should. It's a great and rich resource for Bible reading and Bible study. Eugene Peterson died last month. His funeral was last Saturday at a Presbyterian church in Montana, a life well-lived as God's servant. Sometime near the beginning of Peterson's ministry, leading this church, new church development in Bel Air, Maryland, Peterson said that he never wavered in his theological convictions. He knew he belonged to God. His life was about serving God. But, he said, he had a church to get up and running. He was ready to use any means necessary and any means possible to, as he says, appeal to people's consumer instincts, use abstract principles to unify enthusiasm, shape goals through catchy slogans, create publicity to provide ego enhancement, all of that. But then, Peterson went with his wife to hear a lecture by Paul Paul Tournier, a Swiss physician and author who gave a lot of energy to the pastoral counseling movement. Tournier, a doctor, in midlife, shifted his medical practice from examining rooms and surgeries to, get this, his living room. He shifted his whole practice there. He left a medical practice that was focused entirely on the body. And he embraced a healing vocation that dealt with the whole person. Body, mind, and spirit. So driving home from this lecture by Dr. Paul Tournier, Peterson turned to his wife. His wife turned to Peterson and said, Wasn't that translator fantastic? And Peterson said, What translator? And she said, are you kidding? Tournier was lecturing in French. You don't know 20 words of French. Of course there was a translator. And Peterson then remembered, yes, there was this slight woman off to the side, so unassuming and so uh, modest that Peterson forgot she was there. And then he said this about Tournier, the doctor, The one speaking, Peterson had this clear and inspiring sense that what Tournier was saying and who he was were completely congruent. Just as the translator was assimilated into the lecturer, her words carrying the meaning and spirit of the French words, 
Tournier's words were at one with his life. Congruent. Not just what he knew, not just what he had done, but who he was, his whole person. Peterson says, this was the day that gave shape to his life. This was the day that was going to change the way he framed his ministry. He wanted his theological beliefs to be congruent with the way he lived his life. He wanted his theological beliefs to be congruent with how he functioned in ministry. He wanted everything he said and everything he did to be consistent with who he was. If there's a single word that identifies the faithful life, the godly life, a single word that identifies the life devoted to Jesus, discipleship, Peterson says it is congruence. Congruence between ends and means. Congruence between what we do and what we say and who we are. We may often recognize congruence in modest places, modest settings. Think about a a child playing so unselfconsciously. Think about a, a conversation where the exchange of words becomes a kind of ballet full, full of truth, full of beauty. And people actually communicate. Think about maybe a meal with friends with a palpable sense of affection and celebration. So palpable, palpable that it's like the Eucharistic setting, the mingling of spirits and senses that make it full of God. Then think about a life of congruence, a deep sense of being loved by God, such that we can sincerely love God, love self, love others. Congruence. Think about a sincere trust in God's presence always, God's promises covering us. God's light shining in our darkness, so much so that we can spread God's care and share God's love and be instruments of God's light for others. Congruence. Life held by God, held by God, and a life of humble, loving service for God in all things. Congruence. Congruence is not going to come about quickly. It's not going to come about easily, actually. Congruence only comes about with deliberate devotion, with patience, with attention. It's not something that you can claim. It's not something you can purchase. It's not something you can consume. Congruence comes through God's care. And God's grace. And it comes through commitment. Through practice and failure. Through loving and serving. It comes through scripture and prayer. It comes through worship and moments in community. It comes through a long obedience in the same direction. 
another of Peterson's wonderful phrases. A long obedience in the same direction generates a life of congruence. So with congruence as a goal for all of us, we turn to Scripture and listen today to Mark uh, chapter 12, beginning at verse 38. Some words of Jesus and in memory of a gifted servant. I'm reading from Peterson's message. So listen. He, Jesus, continued teaching. Watch out for the religion scholars. They love to walk around in academic gowns, preening in the radiance of public flattery, basking in prominent positions, sitting at the head of the table at every church function. And all the time they're exploiting the weak and the helpless. The longer their prayers, the worse they get. But they'll pay for it in the end. Sitting across from the offering box, he was observing how the crowd tossed in money for the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples over and said, The truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you notice the incongruence and the congruence in the people in this story, this passage? Jesus warns his listeners, beware of pretentious religious leaders. In the original Greek, there's no such thing as a comma. So the Greek says, beware of the scribes who walk around in long robes. Does Jesus mean beware of the religious leaders, all of them? Or does Jesus mean beware of the ones wearing the long robes? Peterson makes the choice in interpreting this. He says in his passage, watch out for the religion scholars. They walk around in long robes and preen with radiancy, employing public flattery, even exploiting the weak and the helpless, sitting at the head of the table. Jesus is making a strong point about incongruence. Faithful religious leaders, and I'm paying attention here, don't worry. Faithful religious leaders, I'm taking careful note, shouldn't be about preening and exploiting the poor and basking in prominence. The longer their prayers, the worse they get, he says, but they'll pay for it in the end. And then more incongruence in this passage. The crowd at the temple. Many of the rich were making large contributions. So just as the religion scholars are disguising their unrighteousness with their long robes and their prayers and preening and basking, the rich are disguising their selfishness with their supposed acts of generosity. Jesus wants to nurture within us religious leaders and wealthy. And you know what 
We're all so wealthy. Jesus wants to nurture within all of us congruence. What the people in the passage are doing and saying, religious scholars basking in prominence and rich people feigning generosity, all of this is out of line with faithful life. All of this is incongruent. All of this is out of line with what God calls discipleship and faithfulness to be about. And God knows what's going on. That's the message. And then the poor widow comes up and she puts them all to shame. The others gave what they'll never miss. The poor widow gave extravagantly. She gave her all. In fact, as the Greek says, she gave her whole life. That's what she really gave her whole life. Jesus points out that even though the religious scholars have the long robes and receive the flattery, and even though the rich may be putting in large sums of money, the poor widow outshines them all because she gave her whole life. Her whole life. Congruence is whole life. God keeps calling us. God keeps encouraging us to live to live lives of congruence where what we say and what we do and who we are, our whole life is offered uh, to God and live before God. Congruence is seeking to trust in God's love so much that we can indeed love God and love self and love others wholly, fully, congruently. Congruence is knowing God's promises all over us, God's presence all around us, and then living with courage and convictions and trust like the woman and compassion and care. This is our calling. The Christian life is about tending to the lifelong practice of congruence. What we do, what we say, who we are, are all bound up in trusting God more and more and serving God more and more such that our life is really a wholeness. We're not one thing in public like the religion scholars with their long robes and then we exploit the poor and the helpless. We're not like the rich in this passage acting generous but really just disguising our selfishness. Congruence. This is what we want to keep working on. I think God appreciates our prayers. I think God is grateful for our gifts. I think Jesus keeps challenging us to love God and love others. This is what we do. But what God really wants from us is lives of congruence. When what we say and what we do and who we are are always lining up together with our whole life where we trust God so much that we can serve God so fully like the widow in this story. Listen to this quote. It, it sounds like the poor widow. Blessed are those who have realized their own utter helplessness and who have put their whole trust in God. If people have realized their own utter helplessness and have put their whole trust in God, they, were, they, were, they will enter into their lives two things. They will become completely detached from material things 
for they will know that things do not have the power to bring happiness or security, and they will become completely attached to God, for they will know that God alone can bring them help and hope and strength. Those who are blessed are those who have realized that things mean nothing and that God means everything. Congruence. Or as Winston Churchill put it, you make a living by what you get. You make a life by what you give. This is certainly the the distinction in the characters of this story. The religion scholars, the rich and the poor widow. The poor woman in the story gives her whole life. Congruence. I assume that you are something like me. You find yourself pulled in really two different directions. Or you find yourself haunted maybe by two different versions of your life. Or at least what could be your life. One story that competes for our loyalty is the money story. As it's told and lived out in our modern culture. This is a story of self-sufficiency, of merit, of hard work, of competence, and trying to stay safe and happy on our own terms. The sign of this story is more, more, more money, more influence, more goods, more alcohol, more stock options, more power, more clothes in the closet, more fun trips that we can plan, more capital gains, whatever, more. And this is the tale that insists that no matter how much one gathers, no matter how much more we attain, it's not yet enough. Because you know what? Happiness and safety, they're hard to attain. Challenges and illness keep coming our way. Gun violence remains a pervasive threat in our culture. Fires burn. Storms wreck lives. Our children, our parents puzzle us. How do we deal with where we are and what we're doing? All of this can challenge us. But we assume that more will make us happier and secure. We all know about the power of this story. I think we're all basically born into it. We all know about the attractiveness of this story. It's inherent around us. But we also know about another story. And we want to take it seriously too. It's a different account of our lives. We may be even haunted sometimes by this other story, drawn into it on a good day. We may actually find some success at living at this story, this other story, this other version of reality. Have some success. Feel called to it. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of God's boundless love for us and God's call to live a different way. This is the story of God's generosity Abundant generosity that we see in the beauty and mystery of creation 
that we see in the face of Jesus of Nazareth. It's the story that we've seen lived out well by other people, those whom we call saints, those who lived by faith, gave their lives to loving and serving God, trusting and loving. It's about the story of faith and life that we've even experienced as we've come together and seek to be the church, serving God in downtown Richmond and as far as we can go. It's the story that we've lived even in some intimate and concrete moments in our lives. You know what? Jesus keeps calling us to this other story. Through parables and images, through the teachings and these urgings, Jesus wants us to live into this other story. And you know what it looks like? Congruence. Congruence, congruence. By God's grace, it is our ongoing opportunity to trust God. By God's grace, it is our ongoing calling to serve God. Congruence. May it be our lives. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O God... Help our unbelief. We seek to follow Christ our Lord. Amen.